You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello there, this is Stuart Goldsmith. Welcome to the show. I'm recording this in Sydney in the airport, specifically the baby change area. So um, I hope I, uh, I'll just knock this off in two minutes uh, and, uh, and get on with it. Right, I'll, uh, I'll throw myself straight into this. Uh, the interview that you're about to hear was recorded in Auckland, New Zealand, at the brilliant comedy festival there. It's my new favourite festival. And, well, I'm, I'm not going to say I didn't just win an award. Uh, frustratingly, most Kiwi headliner shows at that festival clashed with the group show I was doing. And although I saw loads of very exciting newbies, New Zealand bees, I suppose, uh, I didn't manage to record any podcast with any local acts. Fingers crossed I managed to get back there next year and I can get properly stuck in podwise. One guy, however, that I have seen numerous times is an Australian act who me and some other British comedians had enormous fun touring New Zealand with and who is of absolutely stellar quality. So I'm very pleased to have him on the show. This is Tom Gleeson. When was the last time you were in the UK? Uh, 2011. Okay. I went over to uh, do the Kilkenny Comedy Festival, which I know is not in the UK. <laughs> I know Australians don't know much. I nearly spurted my water yeah, then. I know Australians don't know much, but that's the last time I was in that area. Okay. And um, <clears throat> I was, but I did some gigs in London when I was there as well. I did like the boat show and the Oxford Glee, where I met James Acaster. Oh, yeah. And, I didn't um, realise you guys yeah, had met yeah, before. Yeah, I met him one time, yeah. Sure. And uh, what else? And... Um, I don't know, just some gigs, just some gigs around London. Okay, but that was the last time. Okay, yeah. so for the benefit of people in the UK who might not or know who you are, you are of uh, you're of you're a comic of some standing, would you say? In Australia, you've done a bit um, of TV, radio presenting, yeah. you've done quite a lot of different things. I've sort of been on TV for about ten years, uh, in various forms. So mm-hmm. people in Australia tend to know who I am, but I can't claim I'm not like the biggest comedian in Australia. I'm like. Uh, uh, how I, I would say I'm not, a, I'm not a household name, but people who are into comedy definitely know who I am. Okay, but um, but you know, various people's aunties may not have heard of me. Sure, but you know, I'm, I'm out there. People point at me in the street. Yeah, they, don't, was, they don't always know my name. Sure, you were saying before that you, you you're at the level of wearing a cap in public, so that a third less people point at you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I you know my friends kind of. They take the piss out of me when I wear a hat because they think that I wear a hat because I think I'm famous. And I'm like, 
no, 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 I'll wear a hat because I am famous and, <laughs> and, and it just cuts down on people having a chat to you. That's all. Yeah, like, sure. If you can just treat one out of three people into not staring at you, then, then I'll wear a hat. Yeah, <laughs> okay. And my head's quite distinctive, so, you know, I've got, I'm really, I'm quite tall. My wife said this about me, actually. She said, people would stare at you just anyway. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's Even if you true. went in comedy, because I'm quite tall. I've got red hair and I'm balding, so I'm quite prominent. So I, I tend to yeah. stand out in a crowd anyway. Okay. So people are like, who's that tall weirdo? Oh, hang on, he, he's someone we know. Yeah, <laughs> so, sure, okay. Yeah, so it's okay. risky. So and I first saw you, I, you were in Adelaide, but I think our shows were at the same time, so I didn't yes. see you there. I, I, the first notice I had of you was your poster mm-hmm. uh, for your current show, which is called Hello Bitches, yeah. and you've got a very nicely, very cleanly designed poster which yeah. says exactly that. Yeah. This was dear to my heart, because my yeah. last show was called Prick, and I quite like oh. sort of a, the, the front of you know, a poster and an insult and everything. Yeah, well, you know, so many posters in festivals, they're, they're about trying to get people to like you, so I just thought it'd be funny for if you made a poster that almost was suggesting that you didn't want people to come to the show it just looks funny sure and Um, also I'm fairly I've got a reputation for being fairly friendly anyway so it's kind of have you it's it's kind of contrary to that's that's funny to hear it's kind of turning it on its head a little bit sure sure okay that's funny because from from the perspective of a newcomer Mm. to that kind of the Australian comedy scene I was like oh he must be one of those badass guys (laughs) do you know what I mean so they're like oh you're you're happy to risk looking a bit smug and mean and stuff like that no having a show called Hello Bitches there's a certain amount of irony it's a joke about the fact that you're okay okay But you are, I mean, you are clearly, you have a lot of confidence. You're sort mm. of aware of your, you can talk frankly about your position in Australian comedy. Yes. Like, yeah, and also because, I mean, I've had it in, like, my general life rule is I run in the other direction, like, with anything. Like, I tend to, like, if everyone's doing one thing, I just tend to do the other thing. I, I, and it's something that's I've felt for my whole life. Like, you know, if everyone decided that shirt was nice to wear at school, I'd think, well, I'm never wearing that shirt. Okay. I just have a natural sort of, cynicism this is that, switch is that, that just, why all your clothes are rubbish yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much but um but as a result of that in australia self-deprecation is rife like it's uh it's it's really inherent in all the humor okay. it's all it's inherent in the way that people talk about it so for me the idea of being confident was original okay in a weird way sure so i i happened upon that about seven years ago i just decided what would it be like if i was happy to be on stage and I was confident with what I was doing. And if anyone asked me about what I did, I just said that I was good at it. Yeah. And it just, even just saying it just sounded funny and different. Yeah. yeah. You know, so in, so it's pretty standard for me when I do press interviews and stuff in Australia. They say, so, you know, is your show, what can we expect? I'll be like, well, you can expect me to be nailing it and yeah. uh, destroying. Because yeah. yeah. just, just everyone's in Australia is like, oh, gee, I hope it's okay. You know? Sure. So sure. Just, I just sort of do it for contrast. Sure. And that's something that really, that, that comes out of every pore of your, I mean, we've yes. been on tour together for a week, so I've seen you lots there, and I've, uh, I've seen your hour the other night, mm. uh, which I thought was really excellent. And it has confidence coming out of every pore of it. Like, mm. even in the way, it's almost like your stagecraft is so lean and yes. simple and definite. Yeah. Like, like the way you, you um, uh, the way you kind of close your, your closing bit about like do you get what's going on here yeah. you've got to for the benefit of the listener Tom has a routine where you kind of tell an outlandish sexually based story I, turn, I tell an outlandish story and then at the end because it's you know it doesn't paint me in a good light I say to the audience yeah I, I'm checking whether they understand stand up and do they get the concept of stand up comedy and um, 
and I explain to them that, it, that I'm exaggerating. It's not all true. So then I tell them the true story about what actually happened. Yeah. But then when I correct the story, I make it even worse. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But there's something in the manner in which you do that. It makes me... One of the things I thought was, have you worked with a director? No. On that show? Because And then as soon as I thought that, I thought probably you haven't. But that's the, that's the thing I'm talking about, is you yeah. look like you've been directed because everything's so mm. clean and simple. Like, yes. there's no frills on any of it. It's, I mean, you're, all of your... You, me and Birdie were saying this. Your hour was just club funny stand-up after mm. club funny stand-up. There, yeah. wasn't, there wasn't a three or four or seven minute bit yeah. that couldn't do, work perfectly well headlining yeah, a club. Yeah. None of well, it was I fragile. To, I do... Um, yeah, for people listening in the UK, I do a one-hour show every year, like the Edinburgh model, but I just don't go to Edinburgh. I do it in Melbourne instead, and I've been doing that for about 12 years. Mm-hmm. But I always work up my show through clubs, so the bit the bits tended to have had their birth in clubs. Sure. So usually I start I start my whole run just working up bits and pieces in clubs, and then those pieces I kind of get to about half an hour, and that way I feel like I'm close to festival ready. And then and then uh, I put then there's some longer stories in there, and there is quite often I take risks with with stories which I think aren't club worthy because they're a bit too long or a bit too interesting or a bit too off-colour or yeah. a bit too revealing, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'll put them in the show. But by the time I finish the festival run, then they all tend to be club-ready as well. Yes. Because okay. they've, they've just, you know, received a belting from several different audiences. Sure. Okay. Um, we'll come back to the, the, that actual process in a little while. But um, one of the things I wanted to say just while we're on the subject of that, that kind of confidence is the, the first time I actually saw you perform was at the gala when you were the gala in Melbourne yes when you were that stuff with your bank details that was improvised uh, yeah 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 so yes. you were so that's fascinating to me because you were comparing a televised and it was did it go out live or it went out a day later or something yeah it went out it went out a week later yeah okay um, but it was a big big deal I don't know how many thousands of people that yeah it was like 2,000 people sure. the opening night of the Melbourne Comedy Festival yeah and you Done went TV, yeah. sure sure and you went on and said oh it's a gala we're all here to raise money and then you gave out your actual account details <laughs> and said send in money it was good you know yeah, you weren't yeah, trying to trick yeah, anyone yeah. you were sort of satirising yeah. the, the whole gala well to, to explain, give it a bit of background in Melbourne there is the Oxfam Gala and then there's the opening night gala they're two different opening nights and um, the Oxfam gala they raise money for Oxfam and this one the one I hosted doesn't raise money for anyone you get paid as professional so I was just mocking that and also um, I also thought it gave me something to do because I was the host when you host the Oxfam gala you've got something to do because you've got to keep on spruiking the phone number so I thought I've actually got nothing to do in terms of being a host I really am just here to say we're all going to watch comedy let's all enjoy the comedy so I thought I, I want something else to talk about so yeah I just said to the audience we're not raising money but if you still feel like you want to give transfer money to and I gave out my bank account details on national TV and then that that was funny because the the jeopardy for me that was funny that that made it funny was is it really my account or is it not yes and I said to the audience that I'll pass it on to um I'll pass it on to charity anyway or not yeah yeah sure (laughs) (laughs) so So, I very honestly said to the audience just give me your money yeah and, and I'll either pass it on or not but you will never know the answer and then the other part that amused me was I was chatting to this comic in uh, Melbourne his name's Tommy Dasselow Melbourne comedian and he said the funniest part for him was I'd reduced 
the gala down to its most basic element because every comedian that performs when you do a gala or any TV spot the reason why you do it is you want everyone watching at home to think that you're funny and to think that you're so funny that they want to buy tickets to your show Yes. and when they come to your show and buy those tickets that money ends up trickling back to you yeah. and you get to earn money whereas I short circuited the whole thing by just saying give me your money yeah yeah. you needn't even come and see my show I'm not even doing comedy I'm just saying I want you at home to give me money sure. don't come to the show it was really funny but my, my question is did you plan that beforehand or did it evolve on stage as you were talking to us I I like the idea of doing something risky I didn't want to just run out and do material yeah and um I've done enough TV that I get a thrill out of being in the moment on TV. Okay. I think it's this. For me, the more pressure there is, the more fun it is. Um, it was a big risk because it didn't, it wasn't really, it didn't have jokes in it as such. It was more just a funny concept. Um, but I just sort of knew it would play well at home more than in the room. Sure. So I was committed to doing that because I knew that there would be a crawl underneath. And there was, they put a crawl of my, my oh, account that. details. Amazing. To give and um, is that something that you set up with them or you just yeah I told them okay so they knew I was going to give out my account details yeah (laughs) but I just um, yeah I just figured I could just go out and do material and it will be funny but I I've done that gala like I don't know ten times sure so I've already done that so I didn't feel like I thought I've got to do something to be a bit memorable here I can't just be funny I've got to be remembered somehow yes and when you're hosting you can just get forgotten. Yes. There's all these great acts and everyone forgets. So I thought I just got to do something, just some little thing that's, to get remembered. That's very canny. That does belie obviously your experience of doing it mm. loads and loads of times. But I'm sure people could do it loads and loads of times and still stick to a safer sort of path. Yeah, I think that a mate of mine said this. Uh, he, um, Akmal, he's another Australian comedian, and he said that everyone's funny. <laughs> yeah, he's like. A lot of comedians panic about being funny or not, and it's like, you're a comedian, that means that you're funny. There you go, job done. Yeah. What you have to do is be funny and be memorable. That's the hard thing. Yes. Because we're, we're all funny. Everyone's yes. funny. We all get laughs. Sure. But can you get laughs in a way that somehow people aren't getting them? Yeah. So that people feel like they're getting something special that they, that they can only get from you. Yes. That's the, that's the hard question. Okay. And that's what I think festivals force you to ask. Because yes. you're not just headlining a club, you're trying to... You're trying to reach out and grab just people to come and see you in particular. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard bit. Something that I I think that is an effect of that, I totally agree with that. I think that's Mm. a really good analysis of it. I think in Edinburgh, that has turned into this idea of having a theme. Yes. Like everyone wants to have a theme. Melbourne has the same thing. I'm aware of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, but I noticed that you're one of those people that, or on on the basis of the one show and the one load of stuff that you're Mm -hmm. you're doing at the moment. what I was really impressed with was that it didn't have a theme. It didn't need to have a theme. It was just mm. so busy being good. So how does that show fit into that idea of being memorable? How do you take that into the actual the mm. work that you're doing in an hour? Yeah, well, um, I started doing shows that didn't have a theme. I think the first show I did had a theme, and then after that they didn't. Maybe the second one did too, but after that it didn't. And it was spawned by um, uh, laziness. Because I just thought it's much easier just to have your name in a title and then, you know, six months out, yeah, yeah. you can throw into that hole whatever you're going to throw sure. in there. And so you can cut matter. whatever you want the day before you go out and do it. Yeah, yeah sure. But um, my, I mean, the weird thing is on paper I'm not very original. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a, you know, I'm a man, 38, married with a kid. I talk about that. I talk about things that everyone talks about. Mm-hmm. I think on paper I'm not a very original act and it, it would be easy to discount me as being just another act. 
but I think that the way that I do things is actually a bit lateral mm. I think that there's something about the way that I put things together I kind of do it in a, in a different way that, to what other people do so I think that this thing that I talk about you know I was saying before that I'm always running in the other direction I just feel that that makes me constantly surprising and people are just never quite sure what I'm going to say next yeah. and I think the other thing I think the reason why people enjoy my show is because um, I think there's an emotional honesty in my show I think yeah. that I go for and I think that's what people connect to um, yeah a lot, of, a lot of people who seem to come to my show seem to be very ordinary boring looking men from the suburbs okay. and their wives or you know ordinary boring wives from the suburbs bringing in their husband sure and it's I don't I, I don't know it's sort of an angry man persona kind of but I don't know it's just I, I can't quite put my finger on it but I just sort of try to talk about things in an original way mm. you were talking about um, before you opened for Louis CK yes I, well, he, well he's the master of that obviously yeah I think he's the master of talking about ordinary things in an, in an interesting way it did, there do yeah. seem to be parallels and yeah. I was trying to sort of watching you I was trying to think come on just because he's ginger do you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> but, but there is that so, so what do you mean when you say uh, that word lateral you said there's some there's some mm. way that you come at yours because I, I think I know what you mean but yeah, I'd like you to, to, to try and articulate it, it's yeah, a little like, bit more like, like you're not you're not up there doing gags though there no. are gags yeah each bit is trying to explore an idea but yes. not at the expense of it being funny. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of, I, I just see the world in a lateral way anyway, so I just sort of tend, my stand-up tends to be that way. I don't particularly find myself entertaining. I find myself quite boring because I, I can, all the things I think, I think all the time. But I have learned from doing stand-up that my perspective seems to be unique and entertaining and worth paying for. <laughs> so, sure. Okay. So I just trust the audience on that front. But yeah, I do tend to, I'm just trying to think of a good example. This is a fairly good example. This is a bit... I did it for a TV show. I did, didn't even become stand-up, but it illustrates it relatively well. Um, Mike Hussey is an Australian cricketer, and he retired at the beginning of this year, and he was a much-loved player, family man, three children, everyone's favourite player. His nickname was Mr Cricket. And he retired in January and was on the front page and with his family and... He was giving all his emotional speeches. I just want to go out on top and mm-hmm. I'd lost the passion for the game so I felt like I had to retire and, it's all, and all the headlines were good on you, Mike, you know, and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So on TV, I said that Mike Hussey retired and, you know, and, and I did a rant about how, how annoyed I was and, like, that he wanted to retire at the top and, I, and, and he said that he... And the line that I picked up on, which was funny, because... The, way, the reason why I think this illustrates it is everyone yes. loves Mike Hussey. Yes, okay. So I thought, how funny would it be to give him an absolute drubbing, you know, yes, because sure. he's so lovely. Like, yes, okay. You could okay. not hate the guy. Yeah. But I thought, how funny would it be if I just hate the guy? Find a way to hate him. Yeah, yes. okay. So he, he said the line, um, he wanted to retire to spend more time with his family. And the line that I said on TV was, yeah, that's all well and good, but the rest of us, we can't retire because of our family. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> We've got to go to work every day to put food on the table. No one said you're supposed to enjoy it, Mike. Get out there and score some runs, you lazy bastard. Yeah, 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 okay, so, okay. So that's kind of the way I come at things always, you know. If everyone loves that, I dislike it. And if everyone dislikes something, I sure. love it, sure. usually. That's, that's, that's almost the very, very basic key to my whole act. Okay. It unlocks the whole thing. So this is Tom 
plenty of stuff to discover about him, uh, particularly his unshakable confidence and his very well-ordered mind. Uh, it's worth finding him on YouTube, and it's also worth pointing out, as you may already know him without realising it, as I did when I heard a YouTube clip that was one of the first things I ever recognised as a viral thing, however many years ago, uh, in which Tom voices the role of the boyfriend whose girlfriend James Blunt is trying to chat up in the song You're Beautiful. Don't know if that rings any bells. I sat in a recording studio uh, on a radio show with Tom, and the DJ played it, and I suddenly went, oh my God, I heard this years ago. Anyway, he's a superb act with some very, very punchy, very lean material uh, and a very commanding manner. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, next week, it's Tom Bins on the show. Uh, he's at a fascinating juncture in his career as he decides to morph into a straight stand-up from his current position... <laughs> I may as well leave that in. Uh, Tom is going to morph from a straight stand-up uh, from his current position uh, of being a highly successful character comedian. This is the guy behind uh, Ivan Brackenbury uh, and also Ian D. Montford, uh, two of my absolute favourite comedy characters. So loads to get our teeth into there. It's a mammoth interview. I'll have to chop it down or put some extra content out because we talked for about two hours. Finally, sorry about this. It's not very professional, but as you can hear, I'm dealing with an odd environment. Finally, a little competition for you. Uh, we're looking for names for tribute acts to famous comedians in the manner of, uh, for example, the Led Zeppelin tribute act is called Let Zepp, or you've got the bootleg Beatles or what have you. We're going to do that, but with comedians. Uh, the name, the game is called Very Alderton, after the first one that I thought of. Um, so I'm going to run this for a few weeks and let all of the swamp listeners catch up with you starving bastards. Uh, the winner will receive two free tickets to the live ComCom Edinburgh show of their choice. So at ComComPod with your entries, uh, or you can email me, info at comedianscomedian.com. Uh, and if you're tweeting, please use the hashtag TributeComics. Uh, so that's one to start you off with, very Alderton. Uh, and if you think you can do better than that, uh, I've also, I've already done Ish Kumar. So you can't have that, it's been done. Uh, if you think you can do better than that, and I'm sure you can, do get stuck in one entry per tweet, please. Otherwise I'll get very swamped and lose track. Tickets are online now for the Edinburgh Run. The best thing to do is go to gildedballoon.co.uk and search for Goldsmith to find the correct page. Uh, I'll be releasing confirmed dates for individual acts in a variety of fun and secretive ways in order to let regular listeners get in there first. So listen out for those, Easter eggs and so forth. Uh, and finally, absolute last chance to tell you, Benny Boot is my guest next Wednesday the 28th of May in the second ever ComCom Live special. Tickets are available from the link on the ComCom Facebook page or you can check Twitter at ComComPod or just Google up Crack Comedy because that's the the lovely club that's hosting us this time. So, right, before it goes, now back to Tom Gleason. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Let's just look at your of the hour that you've done recently. Yes. The thing that stands out most in my memory is yeah. the inoculation yes. bit, when you're taking your, your baby daughter mm. to have a horrible, painful injection. Yes. And the climax of that routine is you running, you know, thinking yeah. you were going to be very clever about it and you were going to be, hey, you know, I really enjoy that. And the way the routine starts from a position of some people don't get their children injected because they're religious and or stupid yeah, 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 or superstitious, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. <laughs> but you consider yourself above that because yes. I'm a man of science. Yes. And it ends with you wanting to kick the nurse out the way and go run away screaming and, and losing you go, all my faculties yeah, yeah losing all your faculties you go bananas on stage and I think I told you before me and Marcus and, yeah. and Birdie were sat next to each other going here we go he's going to do this in that kind yeah. of preemptive way um, so with a piece like that that seems to me to be a really good example of one of the things you do of taking yes. the, the taking a logical idea like mm. such as your own logicalness yeah and then finding the hypocrisy in it yes. maybe yeah I mean my my stand-up also isn't that calculated. It's more like I often find meanings in ideas after I've had the idea. I often okay. re- I often retrofit the meaning to my material. Sure, sure. But um, that bit where it came from was actually just trying to describe that pain. And it was also because it's about how you feel as a parent. And so I was trying to... It's one of those bits that came from me trying to explain to my friends that don't have children what it's like to have children. Gotcha. So, so at no point in the birth of that routine did you think, right, I'm going to write a routine about this. No. So much as you were just telling it firsthand to people. I was just going, trying to describe to people how yeah. I felt. Yeah. Okay. And and this year in this this year's show, I, I, a lot of the routines are trying to explain how I feel about something. Okay. So I was trying to tap into a certain emotion as opposed to just going, this is what I think about something. Which normally I say, this is what I think about something. Okay. Whereas this year I tried to do more of this is how I actually feel about something. Because they say that like having a child makes you get more in touch with your emotions, and it's true, sure. so I've just tried to illustrate that more. And so what better way to do it in a comedy fashion than to do it physically? Yes. And so that routine really, in many respects, is probably one of many ways in which I ape Richard Pryor's style. Okay. And no one would ever see that in me because we have nothing in common in terms of the likes we've led but he he acts out all the time. Yes. It's one of my favourite things that he does. Yes. And he slips into it too. Like he'll be, he, he'll just say, so I was like walking down the street and then he'll be walking down the street yeah. reacting to people he's talking to and he's in, he plays the scene. Sure. So um, I completely uh, get that from him. I got that idea from him over 10 years ago and I'm mm. forever slipping into a scenario where I'm pretending to be someone else. 
sure. but people don't think of me as a character comedian but it's kind of in there a little bit yes that's true actually and you do yeah. you do have quite a facility for the little characters that just kind of come out like yeah, they're just in and out yeah you're yeah, just on you know in the tour bus kind of way and all the yeah. kind of cheer bro and yeah. like, you know there's, there's a particular sort of strangled New Zealand impression that you go ah oh, bro yeah, yeah. so that those kind of things bubble out naturally and you were saying before we were talking about it you were mm. saying that you don't I mean do you write things down at any point or is it just no. that it happens on stage and you you no I don't and again it was motivated by laziness it's just about having to get some minutes happening so what I do is um there are some great clubs in Melbourne. Uh, one's called the, uh, the Spleen Bar, and it's uh, on every Monday. And uh, it's free to get in, which sounds this like... Must, this must be an incredible club. Every Australian act I've had on the podcast in the last yeah. five weeks has gone, so there's the Spleen Bar, it's amazing. <laughs> it is really good. It's like um, it's free to get in, which makes it sound horrendous. But for whatever reason, it's, it got, it's, it's, been about, it's been there about five years, and it's got its own little life. And uh, the main point is it's always got people in it, and it's an open mic night but supported by the audience. So what I'll do is I'll have a list of ideas and I'll just go in there and thrash them out. So what I do is I never really... Um, I, I might write... I might have an idea, like I just might write down immunisation. So I know okay. I'm going to try to get that meaning across. And I just literally go on stage and try to get the idea across. And the desperation of having the audience look at me and me just trying to explain it. Okay. I've just accepted that if I stand on stage and talk for 10 minutes, it's going to be funny, mostly. Okay. It's going to be okay mostly. Sure. So what I do is I just get on stage and thrash it out and all the best punchlines seem to come out on stage. But uh, I record it. That's the this smart is bit. maddening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's the smart bit. Like, I yeah. record it. Okay. So then I listen back to it. There's also a lot of writing that happens on the way to the gig. I live an hour out of town, so I drive in and it takes an hour to get in there. Okay. So if I'm thinking, if I've decided I'm going to talk about immunisation, you know, uh, being annoyed with Qantas and one other thing, yeah. by the time I get there the routines are kind of starting to form in my head okay. because I'm imagining being on stage and sure. I'm imagining the moment when I say hello, how am I going to say hello, sure. what's going to happen from there. So then a path just sort of starts to emerge. Okay. And then, but yeah, so then on stage I just thrash it out and then I listen back to it and I go, oh, that's not bad. And then I just kind of, um, the recording of it just, uh, again, I, this process is born out of necessity. Mm-hmm. It just rapidly accelerates the uh, generation process. Yes. Because you catch everything in a net. You don't lose anything. Mm-hmm. And I just keep on pushing it on to but the next when you're, gig. And when you're listening back to it, do you then make notes of it or write it down at that stage? No. Or is it just you're listening back I to it in order to, to remind you? I just listen back to it when I'm driving into the next gig that I do, mm. usually. I, uh, I don't listen back to it the next day. I usually can't find myself the time to be bothered but then I yeah often just listen to it in the car on the way in and then it's kind of there okay and so the combination of having been you know ruminating it like you know been ruminating excuse me about it just anyway just walking around the place Mm. and then listening back to it those two things come together and it just naturally improves okay so then by the time so that list so the list just uh, gets longer and better and then eventually I will um, yeah and then it's you know 10 becomes 15 and then 20 and then I'll then I'll be confident enough to book myself in as a headliner at some clubs yes okay I'll do small like little small venues mm-hmm. I'm happy to do half an hour and get paid for it and I feel that it's you know the stuff's to a certain quality that's going to get good laughs and that sort of gives it a punches it up a bit more and then I get to Adelaide and uh, that's that's where my year starts the Adelaide Fringe yes. Festival okay and then I arrive so you're you kind of Adelaide is almost preview festival it's the goal. isn't it yeah okay but at the same time, it's its own concern. Weirdly enough, the most money I earn is in Adelaide. So 
Yeah, I have a really big season there, so I do feel an okay, obligation. It's got to be people. ready by the time you get it. I can't okay. be taking the piss. You know, people yeah. are paying and expecting it to be good. But at the same time, at the Adelaide Fringe, as you well know, the audience is so friendly and mm. it's an arts festival, so they're open to new ideas. Mm. And it's February and it's Australia and it's summer and it's a great time of year and I just think everyone's in a great mood and it's just a, the perfect place to launch a new show. So when you're on stage... In the, in the, going back to the very beginning of that process yes. you've had the conversations with friends maybe that yep. made you go oh yeah. there might be something in that yeah. when you take an idea like inoculation on stage mm. what kind of things are you trying to pull out of it well, I just want to try to zero in slightly on that process of I just try to explain how I feel well, I just the, try to explain yeah. the idea well the, the key thing was the, the routine for me all centred around how I felt when I had to watch the needle go into my baby's mm-hmm. thigh mm-hmm. and uh and I felt like uh, inside I was caving in. Yeah. I felt like I could pass out. Yeah. And I haven't felt something like that for a long time. Sure. You know, and uh, so I was, how do I get that across? How do I explain that feeling? Yeah. So the way I explain that feeling is, I don't know, just naturally to me it seemed funny that I'm offhand. Yes. Oh, it's going to be fine. It's all okay. No worries. Gotcha. It's fine. Okay. So that so that's where the beginning comes from. So you're trying from. to increase the jeopardy of the situation yeah. by by saying okay, everything's going to be fine because I know things aren't going to be fine. So it's yes, yes. So setting getting a bit of contrast happening. So then, um, how do I illustrate the uh, pain that's going to come? And then, so I try to describe the relationship between me and my daughter, and what she looks like, and how yeah. I feel. And <laughs> Think about her little eyes. face, <laughs> and then her face gets smaller when the needle goes in. That's so vivid. That's such a vivid yes, image. Yeah. <laughs> so then, the needle goes in, and, and at the same time, like it's not the first time I've, I've completely lost it on stage. I do know that carrying on and being an idiot is its own funny thing. That's kind of a bit of shtick for me. Yes, but but then it is it is that within. I mean, when you say carrying on being an idiot, you mean you completely lose losing your mind yes. and screaming yes. but what's lovely about that is it, again it feels like it's directed because that's yes. the right place in the show for yes. that to happen yes. part of why it's delicious isn't just that it's it's unusual but that it it makes perfect sense it's unusual for yeah. you and yet it makes sense for you because you're this ordered logical man well I haven't no reviewers have ever picked up on it yet which is nice but I haven't even heard other comedians say this but if you watch any one of my shows, there's a very good chance that about 40 minutes in, I'm going to yell or do <laughs> Yeah, okay, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> that's my trick. That's my prop. Yeah. That's my guitar. Yeah, that's yeah, my, yeah. That's my wig. You've that's got my glasses. To, you've got to have something for yes. the 40-minute lull. At the 40-minute yeah. mark, something's going to happen. Something bad's going to happen. Sure. I'm going to, I'm going to scream and carry on. I'm going to pass out. I'm going to fall okay. over. I'm going to say something horrendous. I'm going to do... Th- th- sure. Well, th- that's going to be the meat in the sandwich. That's going to be the bit that's just when you think the audience might be drifting off I'm going to okay. do something to drag them right back in so, so what other other than other than that what other decisions do you make about the order of the material in your <clears throat> hour if we accept that all of these bits these are fives or sevens or whatever they are yes. that are all funny and I mean could they yeah. go in any order or do you just no. kind of go okay funny is one last is there, is there a I story kinda, that you're kind of telling throughout it I do sort of edit for funny that's what I do so a story emerges from the funny I don't try to tell a story so what happens is usually... You mean within an hour? Within an hour, I'd probably go B, material, C, material, A, material, last. Gotcha. And then the story emerges because you yes. just get used to saying them in that order. Because you put them in a certain order oh, and the story comes organic. out of it. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. So usually... But I also kind of always try to break my own rules because I don't want to ever get stuck. Sure. So but um, this year and probably the last couple of years, it's been fairly similar. The opening... The material that's at the top, the top 10 minutes is always something that's out of all the stuff that I've come up with is probably the easiest to grab. Yeah. So it's going to be... So it, in 
quite often it's this year it's uh, observational material pretty much the iPhone stuff at the beginning yeah observational stuff about iPhones and um, digital cameras and various things and chatting to people in the crowd it's just it's fairly simple polite mm. material just to get people in so that you scoop everyone up I don't want to leave anyone behind at that stage mm-hmm. and uh, in the past I, I've, I've done that in different ways I think last year and the year before I did that via talking about the news so I'd have 10 minutes about sure. stuff in the news because again it's easy to grab because yeah. we've all just seen the news mm-hmm. and um, and last year I also just added an extra element of it. It was sort of, it was satirical about the way that the news is told. So it just had a bit of meat there as well. But at the end of the day, it was just a way of getting the audience in. Yeah, okay. So then in the middle, I usually put what it, that would be where I put the meat. That's where I put the stuff that I feel is the hardest to get over the line. Uh, but also it's hopefully the most memorable. Uh, this year, uh, it, I didn't actually do it in the show that you saw, but in Melbourne, there was another story that's not in the show in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And it's about basically how I went to a christening of a friend's baby mm-hmm. and uh, the priest, while holding the baby, said a line where he said, um, there are priests out there that would rather go to jail than give up the secrets of the confessional. That was his part of his sermon. So essentially he's saying if another priest confessed a child abuse to him, yeah, he would, he would keep it a secret. So... I, which is a very hard topic, yeah. Sure, yeah. And I thought in New Zealand, I thought they don't know me well here. I'm, I may not get it over the line, but in Australia, that's that was the that was the bit in the middle that yeah. really kind of makes time stand still. But the line that I'm trying to get to is that you know, whatever you believe, you have got to admit, defending a pedophile at a christening while holding a baby yeah. is a bit tacky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I'm trying to get to there. So that story in this year's show was that that was the hard one. I'd never talked about religion before. I, I, I was brought up religious. My parents still go to Mass every okay. Sunday. You were, so brought, was, you were brought up religious and yes. you've not talked about religion no. before in 12 hours at Melbourne? No, never have. Okay. I just thought, I, well, ironically, well, not ironically, it's not irony really, but the, the thing, the reason why I didn't was because I thought it was too difficult. Okay. But it was great because this year, in doing that, I learned that um, uh, I've got more hang-ups about religion than, than the audience does. <laughs> Sure. That's something I learned. Okay. So that was the meat in the sandwich. And okay. then the end, and usually what, what I finish with is just something that's got a big finish that I feel's got some pizzazz, going to wake people sure. up. Sure. So in Melbourne, the immunisation story you're talking about was yep. the closing routine. Gotcha, gotcha. So okay. I made it seem like the show was finished. Yes. I get feedback from the audience, do all that kind of stuff, muck around. Just when they think I'm going to finish, I, get, I just tell one last story. Yes. And then, and then it's done. Yes. Yeah. Tell me about the feedback thing. That's quite an unusual. It's you know I've seen people kind of go any questions before, but yeah. you're like you, you kind it's of it's the let, same trick. But it, yeah. Well, it sort of became about. It, it seemed to have a veneer of maybe being about reviews. You were like rather than someone go. Or that, that was yeah. sort of the punchline, wasn't it? That it you go. Kind of. You know, I'm inviting feedback, and you seem quite happy to. You're obviously, you're very secure in yes. riffing with yeah, whatever yeah. anyone says. I mean, no one really said much the night I saw. No, was, no. Well, in New Zealand, it's not working as well as it has in the past in sure. Australia. Yeah, sure. because um, I've got a bit of a reputation for being good with hecklers in Australia, gotcha. so it's almost making fun of that as well. There's a bit of a frisson it's like there a gap. Already. It's a bit yeah. like, oh, you know, what's going to happen now? So, okay. Yeah. yeah, and over here maybe because mm-hmm. you're you're a little bit more prized. Maybe you're like yes. uh, he's an international. Yes, we don't want to yes. get involved with him. Maybe Combined that's the with the I'm fact right. that New Zealanders tend to be reserved. As a general rule, you know, yes. I feel that as a as a people, they're kind of a bit more circumspect. Sure, but yeah, that was born from. Uh, it, it it started really simply. I just I wanted to improvise more in the show. Every year, I always think I want to improvise more. Um, 
because when you do a one-hour show, it just all the material gets lifted up to another level. So it all just gets lifted up a bit when mm-hmm. you've just got that urgency in the show. So I knew I was going to talk to the crowd at the beginning, and I just thought, oh, I always talk to the crowd, and then I jettison, and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I got it. I want to have some touchstone at the end where I talk to the crowd again. Mm-hmm. So I thought, how can I get to talking to the crowd? And then, so there was that thought. Then there was the thought that I was talking about religion. Like the the story about religion that I tell is um, it actually has a dramatic ending. It uh, it, it 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 gets to a point where I, where I'm imagining an elaborate revenge scenario with the priest, mm. and it's a bit bleak. And it gets to the end, and then the lights go down, and it gets a clap because it's a well told story, right? But then the lights come up, and then I say any feedback. <laughs> so it's like okay. I, I butted against like something that's yes. a bit controversial okay. and, and so I'm, because I'm bagging religion wholeheartedly and then after that I go any feedback as mm-hmm. in you know if you, basically if you've got a problem with it you can tell me about it yeah so that's kind of where that and, came and from and would anyone would anyone did anyone ever no one ever cared I mean you're quite a force of personality as well on stage yeah, I yeah. guess I'm a bit of a bully so you know. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, not, that's yeah. your word not mine yeah well people don't want to yeah do you but, think you are? Do you think you are a bit of a bully? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And no, but I, I just... So with the feedback thing, there was also a story about where I mentioned customer feedback, wrong yes. customer. So yes, there's, yes, there's that's an expectation to any story, feedback. Yeah. It's also, you're yes. the customer, customer's always right. And also, it's, it's funny from a, for comedians <laughs> to watch that bit too because what I'm saying sounds like a joke to the audience, but it's actually true. Yes, because okay. I say to the audience, if you've got any feedback, tell me because I'll fix it for next time. Yes, and I'm and I've recorded this gig for training purposes, and I listen yes, back yes, to it. Yes, yes, And comedians find it funny because, well, I, I'm not now, but I do record the gig. Yeah, yeah, of course. Actually, there is that real element of it that I'm not aware of. And yeah. also, I do improve the show yeah. a little bit each night. Yeah, yeah. So you know, come on, let's fun. let's get into this bully thing. What do yes. you mean when you say you're a bully? Um. Yeah, like you said, I'm like I'm a forceful presence on stage. So, uh, yeah, I kind of I, I mean the word bully has negative connotations, obviously, but I just mean that yeah, I, I push the audience, I, I boss them around into getting sure. them to where I need them to be. Yeah, sure. Sometimes I make it seem like I'm not, but I always am. Okay, so de- de- <laughs> okay, that's interesting. I agree. I agree with because you. Because I was talking to the crowd at the show you saw, and I, and it, and it can seem friendly, but I'm always. Yeah, pushing them into a certain corner where I want them. And to what extent do you think is that is that something that you find it useful or funny to do on stage, or and to what extent is it a representation of your actual personality? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I realised it's quite it's not a nice thing to say, but I've realised that one of the things I really enjoy about comedy, like most people enjoy stand up, because you know they say oh it's really nice hearing people laugh. I actually really enjoy the power trip. <laughs> That's so refreshing to hear. Yeah, yeah I believe I you. really, yeah. really enjoy being in control. For mm. me, stand-up is all about asserting your power over an audience via public speaking. Mm. And that's the part I really get off on. Because, like, like I said, everyone gets laughs. Sure. So you're going to get laughs, that's fine. Sure. So what else do you get out of it? I really enjoy being in charge of the audience. And so when I ask for feedback, I'm actually, not only am I trying to do ad-libbing yes not only am I trying to actually get feedback I'm also demonstrating to them beyond doubt that I'm in charge yes okay have you got any feedback no you don't 
You don't, do you? Why? Because it was brilliant. In, yeah. case, in case you didn't notice. Yeah, yeah. But you have enough of... But they're a, tricks, you know. Yes, you have enough of a twinkle, though. Yes. That we, we don't dislike you for that. No. I mean, you know, I, I, it's interesting. I, I always have got one eye on how's this going to come across to the yes. listenership. Yes. And I kind of keep kind of to point out, you know, yeah. he's not just a dick. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? not an asshole. Yeah. But, but you do seem to have, like, that, as well as that forceful personality, you have that kind of independence of... In, in the whole way you're, you're describing the process of sort yes. of saying you've got to go in the opposite direction you've got no respect yeah. for authority you've got yeah. to do your own your own yeah. sort of thing um, and I think like we we as an audience let you do that yeah. no, I, do we do we let you do anything or do you let us do stuff because you I are let, super I high the, I let the audience think that it's their idea but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well I remember thinking this years ago when I did stand up and I do think that I think most comedians unlock this thought when you walk on stage, you the trick to the performance of stand-up, in my view, is you are letting the audience believe that they've found you funny by themselves. Let's go through that again. Okay, it's a complicated, it's a that. weird sentence. It's like I'm saying, like, when a stand-up is really good, yeah. the audience believes that they just found you funny, like it was their idea that they okay. found you funny. Okay. You don't yes. go on stage and say, you're going to find me funny. Sure. You go out and you talk about things and the audience laughs and you look at the audience as if to say, I don't know why that was funny. Yes, okay. A little bit, okay. it's a conceit. Yes. You know? So you, you've got to let the audience believe it's their own idea. Like, like the audience that, you know, audiences that are seeing me in New Zealand, this is my first time at the New Zealand Comedy Festival, which is an interesting, interesting mm. um, contrast for me because I'm quite battle weary of festivals in Australia but sure. so but so these are people who have never seen me live before mm-hmm. and um, there's a thrill of, there's a thrill of discovering that audience they feel like they've found a winner yeah I knew I was a winner all along yeah okay okay <laughs> but I let them think that they've found that so let's look at that in the in the context of do you think you're revealing anything on stage because it, it seems like you that mm. could be interpreted as you are showing us what you want to show us you're almost like yes. a magician. You're, you, we are witnessing the effect. Yes. And even and we're thinking that we see the truth, and but actually yes. we're, we're seeing what you're portraying. Absolutely. Is, is there an extent to which you are actually revealing something honest as well? Yeah, I, I reckon I do, but in so much as like a film can reveal something honest, like a film can reveal an honest, you know, an honest opinion of an artist, but at the end of the day there were 30 people on set with lighting and whatever, like a, a lot sure. of effort went into doing that thing. Okay. I reveal a certain honesty when I'm sort of flailing about screaming and carrying on because my daughter got a needle. Sure. You know, that is an honesty. And um, I've heard, like, you know, people who are parents, you know, it actually makes them a bit teary when they say that. Yes, because they've been through that experience. Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's true. But it's, um, it's an honesty I've chosen to reveal. Sure. So I am definitely revealing, but it's only because I chose that I wanted. It's only because I wanted to be at that point, you know. Was there a point where you didn't feel in control? Where you? Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. When I started, I actually the, my first twelve months, I was a, I used to play a character, okay. and um, the character was a nervous type person, and I did that for practical reasons because when you're nervous, if a lot of new open markets do that, have a nervous persona. Yeah. Because you can hide your nerves within the nerves. Sure. And so there was that. And then I... um. So I did that for 12 months. 
and uh, and then I stopped doing a character because it just I it just felt embarrassing carrying a costume around to gigs, and um, you know in backwater pubs. Sure. So so from a practical point of view, I just started performing as myself because it was easier. And um, but no, when I started, I was my I was very kind of well, I was quite young too. I was like twenty two or something when I started, and um, I was very likable and probably. Uh, not dissimilar to Seinfeld. It was just observational stuff mostly. And I was quite a clean act too. I pretty much didn't swear. Mm-hmm. Um, and all that just slowly just you know, <laughs> deteriorated, yeah. you know, as I wanted to become more and more interesting. Okay. So looking back on it, I was uh, competent, but I think I was quite boring. Okay. When I started. Okay. I've got a couple of questions I want to answer in, mm-hmm. in different directions off that. Um, you were competent, but you were boring. And you, what, you recognised that that wasn't going to... What, what was the impetus to be less boring? Were you boring yourself or were you thinking, I want to make a success of this, I yeah. need to become more interesting? Yeah, I just thought, yeah, I think you've got to stand out from the crowd and I'd look around and I'd sort of look at people who were doing really well and think, what is it about them that makes them so good? And sure. So something, something I often wonder or worry about, I sort of think I need to be true. I, I think I've yeah. said on the show before that all I feel you can really do is show yourself as honestly as possible mm-hmm. and then cross your fingers and hope it's zeitgeist and it's yeah. of interest to the moment. Well, you're, you're agreeing with that, but at the same time, it, it sounds like you... I mean, it sounds like you're not as uh, kind of constrained by that desire to honestly be yourself. Do yeah. you see what I mean? Yeah. To, to what extent have you kind of constructed this because you think it'll be successful? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, yeah, it's funny. It's a bit. It's a bit of both mm. because, like in Australia, like uh, you know, for the context in the UK, like I perform to 300 people a night in festivals sure. who pay money and want to enjoy it. Yeah, and that, and so my impetus is to. I'm trying to perform. I'm trying to be good and interesting and entertain those people. But um, the other thing I'm trying to aim for is, like, these are people now who have been to my show five, six, seven years in a row. Okay. And, and they've enjoyed it and they've thought it was really funny. So I'm, I'm always trying to give them something that's a bit familiar and something they've never seen before. Yes. I okay. do a bit of both. Okay. So this year it was religion. Sure. So the other two-thirds of the show were probably areas or themes or subjects that they may have seen before. Okay. But, the, I mean, obviously the material's different, but maybe the attitudes and the observations or... The more the attitudes and the themes might have crossover with other shows, but that, but then I give them a whole thing about giving religion an absolute belting that they haven't seen. Yes, and then they feel alive when they, okay. when they see that. Okay. So I'm definitely thinking about the show being a success, but that doesn't mean that like I'm just a complete populist like sellout. Like sure. it's just like sure. oh yeah, I'm just doing these jokes because these are the kinds of jokes no, people no, like sure. to hear. The my my motivation is um is impure and pure at the same time I'm doing it because I want lots of people to turn up and pay and give me money that's why I'm doing it (laughs) yeah sure but the way that I do that is I try to make a show that's so good that people want to tell their friends about it and my my feeling is that people only talk about shows that are so good if there's an element of originality and connection in them yes okay so I'm aiming for those honest moments and those twists and turns and and stand up that hopefully they have feel that they've never seen before because that makes you excited and want to tell your friends about it sure so is the is the self-expression part of your career your Mm. your shows is is the self-expression like you getting things off your chest and Mm. saying what's on your mind and revealing yourself to the world is that more or less important to you than the the kind of the 
I don't want to say power trip. I yeah. know we were talking in those yeah, terms, yeah, but yeah. more or less important than the kind of vicarious pleasure from a career that's working and an audience that's laughing. Yeah, yeah. And a, you know what I mean? It's like you're a success. It's yeah, a yeah. successful thing. Yes. And is that is that what's the dynamic there between? It, you're a successful thing. You're, you're, I mean, you're a successful. I'm a very successful thing. You're a successful man, product, <laughs> brand. You know what I mean? All those sort of yeah, things. People yeah. come back to see you in their hundreds and pay yeah, year yeah, on year, yeah. in their thousands. Yeah. Um, and so, is is part of you thinking when you put the show together? Are you thinking? And I, I ask this not just specifically for you, but also for someone of your level who's turning out, turning over this kind of material every year. You're twelve hours yeah. in. I'm three hours in on my own yeah. sort of stuff. And I feel like I'm kind of trying to go. Okay, this year, what is it that's go that's that I want to say? Yeah. And and maybe it, so maybe maybe that's you're less constrained by that. Thinking okay, like you used a phrase yes. that, which I found really interesting earlier on about like you've got to get some minutes together. Yeah. So you know, are you thinking right this year? I had a child and I want to express the, the joy of having uh, a child. Or are you thinking I've got to get some minutes together? What is it that's going on in my life? Yeah, I, I have absolute. Faith. That was the longest question I think I've <laughs> ever asked anyone. <laughs> I have, I have absolute faith in my, in my comic perspective. I've been doing it so long now that I just believe I live. I live a comedian's life. I notice funny things when they happen, and I'm good at trapping lightning in a bottle. That's what I do, and I'm good at it. So I don't, I don't sweat it. Um, I just know that things will happen to me, and it's, and I know that if I think nothing's happening to me, it's just because I haven't looked at things close enough. So I don't really, I don't think, oh, this is what everyone's been talking about, or I've got this that I want to say. I mean, I kind of think of it more in terms of, yeah, I, I think about it more in what do I want to say because I'm going to have to say it over and over again so I've got to care about it. So I only talk about things I care about a lot because you've got to care about it a lot. So that's usually from within, you know. So they're usually... Say say the rant about the iPhone 5 that was in the show this year. That's because I bored probably 10 dinner parties. Oh, what's going on with the iPhone 5? Yeah. It's giving me the shits. Like yeah, it was yeah, something sure. that obviously was getting my goat. And to some degree, it would make people laugh, but not necessarily that just they would agree that it was a bit of a rip-off as well. And then that, okay. that, and I'm like, well, this is something to talk about, isn't it? So that's usually how I get at it or, you know. So a lot of my material starts as dinner table conversation with my friends who are non-comedians. Okay. So they're just the things that we enjoy talking about a lot because I think private conversations are some of the best sources, one of the best sources for material because quite often uh, private conversations are offhand and honest. Sure. So and and if and if you if it entertains you a lot, you know if if it's a topic that somehow people are hang like if you, you know, are complaining about customer service and everyone's got their customer service story that they hate and, and you find, gee, we've been talking about that for ninety minutes. Clearly, that's something that maybe worth talking about. Worth talking about. Yeah. About. yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Brilliant. I'm just going to make a little note there. Forty nine minutes that mm -hmm. I need to stop and work out what other stuff I want to ask you. Yeah, I'm of course. Really, I'm really pleased with this, mate. This is great. Um, you, we talked earlier on about you uh, or something you said earlier about you not finding yourself funny because you're yes. saying things you think and you think them anyway yes. so were you funny as a kid Did, were you funny amongst your group of friends I was um, I was privately funny and I wasn't publicly funny so when I was um, I mean when I was in primary school I was kind of a funny guy but I was there, like I, I went to a school where there was nobody there. There was like 26 kids in my mm. school, the whole school in where I grew up uh, in country New South Wales. 
Um, so I was always the funny one in the school play, but that wasn't saying much because I was there weren't many people there. Like, sure. That was pretty much untested. Um, and then I went to boarding school for six years in Sydney. So at the age of 11, I went to boarding school. Uh, all boys, 1,000 boys living in Sydney together. And um, within that environment, I wasn't funny at all. I was funny just with my mates. Yeah. But we were kind of like a nerdy little crew. We're all sort of good at maths and science and we're sort of academically good. Yeah. But my school was a rugby school. So basically, humour was outsourced to the people who were good at sport. That was the general agreement. <laughs> okay, okay. You're only allowed to be funny if you're good at sport. Yeah. So there's a jocular sense of humour there, which I mocked to my friends. Yes. So I was funny in my little group, but okay. not to the uh, greater school. So... Then I went to university and I was uh, I was in I was playing in bands, so I was obviously desperate to express myself in some way. Despite myself, I used to write poetry, whatever. I was just obviously trying to do something. Yeah. And uh, it became apparent to me that when I was introducing songs, I could make the crowd laugh. So eventually, I went in a comedy competition because I just had this feeling that I knew how to sure mini- manipulate a room into, make, <laughs> into making them laugh. Telling <laughs> telling sentence. Yeah, yeah, I felt okay with it. So there's all of that going on. and um, But I often describe, yeah, when you become a comedian, it's like coming out. You know, you uh, my brother's gay when he came out, looked back through his life, realised he was gay all along. Yeah. When I worked out I was a comedian, I looked back through my life, I'm like, yeah, I did kind of memorise yeah. Bill Cosby records. I had yeah. a John Cleese poster instead of a band poster. I yeah. used to volunteer for the funny roles in primary school. I used to make my friends laugh, you know. Um, so then it kind of all made sense to me. And then another little pleasure that I found, I think there's a pleasure in fun. It's sometimes when you become an entertainer, it feels weird to feel like it came out of nowhere because you mm-hmm. sort of feel like there's a certain arrogance that you, why did you decide that you were the one that could do it? Like it's a bit. So the other um, thing I found solace in was uh, my grandfather who died a year after I was born. He was a politician and apparently an, ama- an amazing public speaker. Okay. So to, knowing that just sort of feels like, oh, okay, maybe it comes from somewhere. I like that. Sure. And uh, this sort of also taps into a theme of last year's show. Last year's show, I saw my mother do stand-up. She just did a gong show on a cruise I was on out of nowhere. <laughs> Not at your behest. She just did it for fun. And she drilled, and- she drilled it, and it was just it blew my head off. By drill that you mean she did well? She just killed it. I'm not it. familiar with that. No, no, okay, she, okay. She, yeah, she just yeah. killed it. She, she killed it. So that was... That's incredible. Was your that granddad, was, was your politician show. granddad her dad? No. No. Oh, no. wow, so you've got a double yeah, uh, so legacy. Like, okay. It's good to feel like you come from somewhere. And, um, but yeah, getting back to the whether I was funny when I was younger, the amusing thing is for all, everyone in my high school, when I popped up on TV as a comedian... It made no sense at all. Yes. So I I was at my 20-year reunion for high school last year, and, yeah, all of them, I mean, they're all very excited about it, and they they feel happy for me, and they're they're very... the school has a good spirit, so just the fact you went to the same school is a good feeling, but for a lot of them it's like, where the fuck did that come from? Yeah, sure, sure. I've written, I've written Lex Luthor. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I've written that. I think I've written that because I've never heard anyone talk about the the glee, the the, the power trip. And it is a power, yeah, of course yes, it is. Yes, yes. No one really talks about that. You know, I I do like to make people yeah. laugh. I do like to make people happy. But I suppose part of it is me going. I've got lots of you know. I've got lots yeah. of unresolved. I didn't have a happy time at school, especially. And part of me is kind of going, yeah. See, do you yeah. know what I mean? Like that, that's quite an interesting. Uh... Yeah. Well, the power trip part two comes from um, 
like it, it's it's fun to be in charge and so like I, I'm I've got a reputation for being good with hecklers and essentially the way I deal with a heckler well I, I used to hate hecklers I used to hate them because I thought I've got all this prepared material and why are you ruining it that's really annoying and you're boring everyone I wish you wouldn't do that but once one day I worked out, which everyone has no doubt worked out, I, I worked out that it was a compromise to my authority on stage. They were, they were compromising my authority and the audience, I realised, wanted me to be back in charge. They actually want me to win. So once I realised that, I thought, well, I might as well win in eight different yes. ways. Yes. So when someone heckles me, usually I, I take what they've said, I pull it apart, I question their motivations, I, you know question their confidence as a heckler have you done it before maybe this is your first time i just pull it all apart in extreme detail yeah until eventually they you know lose the will to live yeah <laughs> and okay. then my rule is i just kind of pull it all apart and have fun with it and mock sure. them and i just have a very simple rule and that is if the audience applauses you're finished yes because i don't know where the clap's going to come they'll eventually clap when you just nail it so you keep clap, going. So if someone on. heckles, you don't stop tearing into pieces until there's a round of applause. <laughs> Amazing. Then you move on. I mean, unless, so, you, so now, unless you feel it's just dipping away, then and, and you can t- sense that the audience is tired of it. Sure. But you'll you'll always just happen upon something that yeah. will just snap and they will clap and then, That's and then you move on. Yeah. Because they want you to win. Yes. They so really, really a heckle is an opportunity for you to get an applause break. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so you might as well chase it. Yeah. You might as well chase it down. Yeah, don't don't gloss over it. When someone heckles, it's like the gig has come alive. So don't. Yeah. You know, don't like it's like it's uh, it's like they put the paddles on and they've given you an electric jolt and the body jumps to life and the gig's just suddenly up there. So you might as well keep it there. Sure. Rather than sort of push it aside and move on. That is exactly what Lex Luthor would say. <laughs> <laughs> But also adding to that, which is a bit strange, is I really enjoy corporate gigs because a lot of comedians quite famously hate corporate gigs. Mm. They're the gigs you do that pay a lot of money and often they're in conditions that are not perfect. But I enjoy them because once you see them as a power trip, they're much easier. So when you do a gig like that, you're exerting authority over the boss of the company. Okay. And that's a great place to be and to mock a company and to mock the whole thing. And also, so I mean, often I... It, they're still they're, they're common jokes and then I'm not pretending to have made up the, the, the idea but I'll always mention very early on don't worry I can't get fired you know I've already been paid <laughs> yeah okay because so, okay. the, the, the employee's like oh you can say anything amazing amazing great. and have you as, as, a, as a strategy do you uh, get paid it, in advance it is it, it's half true I sure. get paid half I think okay. there's a deposit of half that's already paid okay that's a good tactic it's true enough yeah. yeah it's true enough absolutely yeah yeah it's true enough that the uh, you know like that's my favourite moment I've ever had at a corporate was slamming the, the boss yeah. about like... Uh, yeah, it's yeah. corporate 101, but it's important. Yeah. It's actually really important. And you're told not to. You're, you've you're got to ignore to. all the instructions, haven't so you? So you've got to do it. Because you're never going to get booked again. Yeah. you know, they never, they never rebook. Or, you know, once no, you only ever do each one once, absolutely. Yeah. So you might as well go in and rip them to shreds <laughs> because it's, it's kind of what they want. Like it's, and also, a corporate gig is difficult. So you've got to bring in the big guns to try to mm. get everything on side. So you've got to pull all those tricks and pull those moves. Mm. Otherwise, they're not going to listen to the other things that you've got to say. Sure. So you've got to use that to get them in. That's the way I see it. Okay. So, you're, so there was something I, I made... Uh, I made an observation about a review of yours. I was looking at uh, a positive review of yours recently online and realising that by doing that, I tricked myself back into engaging with reviews, which is like a personal <laughs> quest that I'm on at the moment is to not yeah. engage with any of it. 
Um, That's funny because I'm the opposite. I just read all the reviews and go, oh, "Fuck it, what would they know anyway?" Well, this is this is almost exactly what I'm getting at, which is that you seem to have. So where does this come from? This unshakable confidence. It's a it's a trick. It's a like. It's is it a, a trick you've learned? Have you like? I wouldn't be surprised now if you told me that you'd gone away and done a month doing an LP <laughs> training or something like that. No, well, it, it came from. It became my thing. It became my. That's my trick is to be confident, but it's still an illusion. It's a. Yeah, it's a poker game. This whole thing is a big poker game, and you've got to have a good poker face. You've got to have a good poker face for audience, for press, for reviews, for everything. And you've got to, you know, you've got to have a certain amount of front. And you know, I still have my insecurities, like everyone else does, but I just don't see them as being anything entertaining to talk about. Okay. So I hold, I hold them in a little bit. Um, You know, my wife could probably reveal that I'm just like every other comedian. (laughs) Sure. But I just don't walk around town with my heart on my sleeve so I can shit on it. I feel like I'm supposed to, as a comedian, I'm supposed to be honest and open and candid about all my feelings. I don't know why I feel like that. No, I I think there is a certain... There's an aspect of that, but but also comes from when you do it long enough, it just gets tired. You know, I've heard people be self-deprecating in 20 different ways, and so it's just old news to me. I'm like, yeah, I know, we're... You know, we're... We all feel like that, but whatever. It's like just saying it's a sure. nice, it's a sunny day. Yeah. But the where it came from for me a little bit too was I had to do this TV spot in Australia. It was 1999, I think. It was a while ago. And it was a big break for me. There's a TV show called Good News Week that used to exist. It's like, have I got news for you? It's a panel show, but it had variety elements too. So often they get people on to do a song. So the producer really liked me and she wanted to get me in the show. She was just trying to work out a way of getting me in. And it was Science Week. So she's like, in a desperate bid to just get me in the show, she said, uh, I know that you play music, so if you could write a song about science for Science Week, I'll be able to get you on. Now, looking back on it, that's madness to just perform a song <laughs> uh, on national TV that you've With never no done. no musical in, background. Or, 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 no, I, I, oh, no, you were in a band when you were Yeah, I was in a band. Yeah, yeah. I had played music. Sure. So I thought, all right. So I just wrote a funny song about science. And the song was basically saying, without science, this song wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. So it pointed out the scientific elements of the song, you know, that the, the strings were standing waves and... You're not, you know, you're not watching me strumming with my plectrum. You're just watching a partial reflection of the white light spectrum. You know, that wow. kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And before I went on, there was this huge crowd. It was like, it was like a thousand people or something. It was one of their big outside. They'd gone out to a theater hmm. and doing this show. And the roar of the crowd was so loud. I remember feeling my heart thumping in my chest and it was just belting away. And I just felt, and I, my mouth was going dry and I felt like a real strong sense of anxiety. Mm. And, it, and I was just on the brink of starting to think, what am I doing? I don't yeah. even know if this song's funny or not. I haven't yes. even tested it to a crowd. This Christ. is crazy. And then I thought, and it's like my, I, I was like, it was like I was looking after myself. I thought, how much better would this be if I was relaxed? It would be so much better. And I pictured myself being in the green room and I thought, I will be so much happier after this if I just glide on through it. And, and I thought, and, I, and my heart started to slow down. And I thought, yeah, I don't give a fuck about this. Who yeah. cares? It's just TV. It's a one-off. No one will remember it anyway. What would these people know? I'll do another spot some other day. I'm just going to go out there and not care. And I, and, I, and I tricked myself. I was able to get my heart slowed down and, you know, sort of and I, to a more of a resting state. And I just walked out and I ad-libbed something at the beginning, just a little thing, but just enough to remind myself that it didn't matter. 
I just something about the mic stand I didn't like or something. I don't know. It was probably only mildly funny, but it was just to remind me that I'm just going to play a song. And then when I played it, got really big round of applause. It was just crazy. They just loved it. And um, yeah, and then afterwards I thought that's kind of the way to do it. So I just realised how much better things will go if I'm relaxed. Mm. So then that, that just became a trick I played on myself and then eventually it just became true. You believe it for long enough, it yeah. becomes a fact. Are there any negative consequences ever of that amount of confidence, self-belief, being the alpha male in the room? Do you think you mm. sacrifice vulnerability or um, like any, any aspect of your relationship with the audience? Do you think... I'm not, I'm not suggesting yeah. there are. I'm just... It's, it's, it's really refreshing to hear yes. this... this this um, amount of, of sort of positivity about that. Yeah. Uh, no, it works pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I don't know if you're going to look for something. I reckon, you know, it, 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 it's a bit of a hedging of your bets. Like, it does make me an acquired taste to some degree because I'm kind of... I'm not quite comfortable saying that I'm a comedian's comedian, but there's an, there's an element of pleasure in it if you've seen a bit of comedy because it's almost like I'm making fun of comedy while doing it yeah. without being unbelievably postmodern and see what I did there and, you know, sure. without completely pulling it apart. My stand-up act kind of mocks stand-up at the same time, kind yes. of. Yes. It's kind of in there, you know what I mean? Yes. But it's not. But it's subtle, though. Like, it's there are people who would just take it on face value and not notice. Yes, okay. I almost feel that I get from the... Um, this is not really addressing what you're saying, but <laughs> I often get... I almost get reviewed two ways. It's, yeah. like, it's like some people cop the whole thing. Yeah. They enjoy the show and the subtext and they get the whole thing and they love it. And then there are other people who just see the show on face value and don't really get it. Mm-hmm. Like saying the reviews for this show that you've just seen, yeah. they've been outrageously positive. I did read one negative review and to be fair, it wasn't overly negative, but it did say in passing that there were only three decent belly laughs in the hour. Yeah, well, that's just wrong, isn't it? <laughs> that, is, that is completely false. Yeah, sure. But clearly she didn't get it. Yeah. She just didn't really get it. She probably thought I was an, an obnoxious Australian, which I kind of am. Yes. But she didn't understand the conceit of it, I yes. reckon. Yes. Like, I'm being ironic. Like, when I, you know, like, remember I said, well, I, I don't really do it, but I was trying to do that joke of, because I'm in New Zealand, and I'm saying, you all say that Australians are cocky. Yeah, that's because we're really good at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's a yeah. funny joke. Yeah, but, yeah. like, there are people who would be like, no, you're not. Yeah, totally. They totally, just completely absolutely. miss the miss the so, subtext. Yeah. So there, there. So the blind confidence that, that I perform with is its own form of like humour. Yes. But it can get lost on people. Yes. They can just think that you're obnoxious, and they miss. They just miss that element. The review that I saw, one of the reviews I saw, and I, I can't remember which publication it was in, but it uh, it, it, it sort of it fits ni- nicely for me into this kind of um, <laughs> image I'm forming of whether you've done it or not, this, yes. this neuro-linguistic yeah. programming or whatever it is, <laughs> the secret Scientology background, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, which, I'm, which I should just say for the benefit of the listener, I've just made up and introduced. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm no, not you saying... Can, you can't a, sign up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not there's another chat we had that I've edited. It's not this podcast that's <laughs> uh, been sponsored by some company. Yeah. Um, but the review, and maybe it was just a poorly written review, but it, um, 
it was positive and it really just kind of parroted back some of the things that you impressed upon us in the show yes like you I, would I go into you'd go into a, a bit by saying the thing about me is I don't respect authority you'd go into a bit about that yes. and then at the end you'd go that's because I've got no respect of authority yeah. and, and it would be nothing more than little segue yeah, it's, just, it's just kind of trying to frame up some stuff yeah exactly yeah, exactly. Yeah. and th- yet this review goes well the thing about Tom Gleeson is he just doesn't respect authority and it's like yeah I know I told you that yeah I read through it and I was like <laughs> is this how this is working Are you, yeah. have you put the fluence on us and you're going I'm funny I'm brilliant I don't respect authority <laughs> and people are coming out going Mike he's funny and brilliant he doesn't respect it I, I, I mean I I, there isn't. I, I do hypnotise an audience a bit. Yeah, that's. I think that's what I'm getting yeah. at. That that amount of confidence. It's almost. And there's, I'm not talking at all about the comedy content yes, of the show here, which yes. is excellent. Yeah, it's just the. It, but it's almost like you're doing a motivational speak or yes, a, a speech, yes. rather, or or something like those techniques. Have yeah, you which ever... is what I talked about before with the feedback thing. It's like yes. when I say, "Is there any feedback?" I'm pointing out to the audience that no, no, because you loved it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's a, that's an element of um, that's almost a sales pitch. And is that something that you've done naturally and look back at now and go, oh, that's what I do, or is it something that you went in there going, I'm gonna I'm gonna take these people apart and I'm gonna tell them, I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna program. Them. I don't know. They're just they're just ideas that I have, and like I said, I retrofit yeah. the purpose. Sure. It's like afterwards, I, I received the benefits from that that thought, but I'm don't I don't it doesn't come the other way around. I don't think I really have to. Sh- prove to these people that I'm good sure it's just that it comes out in what I'm saying yes. because I chose okay. to talk about okay. that thing yeah I'm not that calculated no yeah. sure okay but yeah I mean it's Isn't note to self Tom would never admit if he was that calculated <laughs> <laughs> no I mean I, I still kind of it's, yeah I, I put it together and it all comes it's like putting together a jigsaw and, and sometimes these things they just sort of pop out and emerge but um, but I also just you know sometimes these things are like I focus on things that make my friends laugh, like yeah. really early hints at this style that I have dates back years and years and years. Like I had a friend, uh, a Sydney comedian uh, called Mick Meredith, and I, I perform with him regularly. He's a very funny guy. And he um, he said to me, he goes, I remember when I first liked you, it was like the comedy store in 98 it was like a long time ago and he said and I didn't really remember this until he told me he said you said a joke and then it got a laugh and then you said to the audience you are the thickest audience I've ever performed to in my life I've done that joke a hundred times and that is the longest I've had to wait between punchline and laughter and he said and the thing that really amused me was and they laughed and agreed with you that they were thick. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so, and, he, and so my friends would pick up on those little things and I'm like, yeah, you're right. So you just keep pushing that. So now, like, one of my favourite parts of the show at the, at the, that I really enjoy performing is it's basically a rant against customer service. But I don't... The rant has no point to it. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about being a bad person. And I'm yeah. being awful to a person who doesn't deserve it. Yeah. And I even admit at the end that I was lying. Yes, yes. It breaks all the rules. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't exist because I'm yes. just saying this is a story about me being an asshole to someone who doesn't deserve it, and I'm lying, and I don't admit that I'm lying. Yes, that's not traditional comedy fodder. No, sure, sure. <laughs> Usually, yeah. saying something that puts you in a good light, or that maybe you know 
I don't know, but it's just... A- Hello, bitches isn't an ironic twist on your warm personality <laughs> at all. <laughs> it's, the, no. it's, the, it's the poster that you see if you're wearing the special glasses that reveal the truth as yes. you're grinning. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I mean, that's true to some degree, yeah. I've got one last area that I'd like to, to just explore a little bit. Um uh, which I, I think you it's not something I often talk about with comics, but I think you'd be a good person to, to shed some light on it. Um, I noticed on your, I had a little look at your Wikipedia page, having yes. some of your TV credits. Yes. It said you were briefly a panellist on Big Brother's Big Mouth. Yes. Right? Now, that to me doesn't necessarily sit with the Tom Gleason, the comedian that I know, because I, mm. I don't have a lot of respect for those sort of shows. Yeah, I don't watch them myself or the rest of it. So I wanted to talk to you about the decision to go on and do some... T- I assume yeah. that you probably didn't respect it. Yeah. So let's talk about the decision to do TV for stuff that you don't believe in. How do you place yourself within that? Well, what that was actually a big turning point for me. Okay. Because uh, what happened, a uh, quick version of my TV career in Australia was I came to prominence via a sketch show and in it I did a continuing character called the Australian Fast Bowler who was essentially a superhero okay. who would solve problems by bowling really fast <laughs> okay. and it was great it was a good dress up I looked like Dennis Lilly I had a moustache it was sort of 70s sure. inspired back before that had been given a thrashing you know in, in the comedy world and, um, and I did various sketches on that and I was quite a prominent face in that mm. show the Australian Fast Bowler was used for a lot of the promo. I was like a pin-up in the TV guide and stuff like that. So, but I was the guy who did that thing. So my stand-up was not as well-known, even though I was doing that the whole time. Mm-hmm. So what happened was I got a lot of offers after that to do different things, pitches and whatever, but then the offers just started to dry up because I believed that I was a TV star. Yes, of course. I believed it okay. because okay. everyone told me I was, so I yeah. didn't disagree with them. But then eventually the office started to dry up and I was boasting one day to my mother. I said um, that Dancing with the Stars asked me to go on there and I thought, you know, they can go fuck themselves. And mum said to me, but that sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. Maybe you should say yes to some things. And I was like, yeah, you're kind of right. Because I just started to say no to everything and eventually the mm. phone stopped ringing. Cool. So I, I was, Why were you saying no to everything? Because, because I thought they weren't good. In, I thought yeah, that's not yeah, good. I'll gotcha. only do things that are good. I'll, yeah. I'm going to be quite particular. I'm only going to be on TV if it's something decent. Sure. So it all started to dry up and then, and then people started having good fortune from being on shit shows. You know, this is... You know, like I say, like a good example is Joan Rivers winning a Celebrity Apprentice and somehow she's doing Full Houses again. It's sure, weird. So, sure. there's, so there's that element. But anyway... It got to a point where I thought, I kind of just have to get back on TV. I'm being a bit too precious. I think I just have to start saying yes to things. So I got asked to go on the Big Brother panel show. And I thought, oh, that's terrible. But I got convinced because the producer of that show really liked me. Mm-hmm. And he, he wanted me to do it as a personal favour to him. Mm-hmm. Because the show was not doing well. Okay. He's like, please come in. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to. So I thought... Instead of thinking in this sort of pure comedy way, I started thinking like normal people think about work. You mm-hmm. have to have good work relations. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, well, I'll do him a favour and maybe this won't be the winner, but he'll get me to do something else later that yeah. I do want to do. So you've got to say yes. And you got to, sometimes you've got to please them. Not, it's not all about you. Yeah. And he said, you can go on there and say whatever you want. Now, <laughs> I had gotten back from the Middle East where I was entertaining the troops and, and I'd just enjoyed a thorough lesson in saying whatever you want yeah because there like I remember one of the guys from um, at one of the camps the commander said you can say whatever you want just don't say can't 
And um, so I went on stage in front of the troops and said, the commander over there said, I can say whatever I want as long as I don't say the word cunt. <laughs> and they thought it was hilarious. Yeah. And even he laughed. And I'm like, what are you going to do? Send me back to Australia? I don't get to hang out in this shit? Oh, yeah. what a shame. So it's yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. And I realised that that tour, I could only be as funny as I was going to, could be if I accepted the fact that I could get booted off. That's how you got, that's how you got to perform. So when I went on this show, I thought, I'm going to say all the things that I've hated about Big Brother. And if I get fired, I won't have any regrets. So I went on this panel show and um, Tony, the host, just straight away said to me, so Tom, um, have you got any thoughts about the current season? Just wide open, right? Yeah, yeah. And I said, yeah, to be honest, I don't really like it. I don't (laughs) like it at all. Because you know what? The people in the house have become too aware of their fame. They're walking around talking about their following, what they're going to do afterwards, what we should do. This is what we should do. We should tell them that Big Brother's been cancelled. Yeah that all the cameras are turned off, yeah. that we're not even filming them anymore, but due to the gaming regulations, they have to stay in there mm-hmm. and they have to stay in there with nobody watching and we'll find out who they really are. Yeah, yeah. And then I did another riff on saying that they should move <laughs> the walls in by an inch each night until eventually they you know, you know, and, and this whole thing. And, and, I was, and it was all very funny, but it was kind of, it was a little bit edgy because I was basically saying on a show about Big Brother and, and also yep. the ratings were ordinary. Yeah. It was going down the girdler. Yep. So I kind of was making fun of the sinking ship, basically. And afterwards, the producer just had a big grin on his face and he said, thank you so much. Yeah. That's exactly what we needed. I wanted you to throw some hand grenades and fuck you through some. Yeah, correct. So I got invited back the next week and I was the... So then I would just always rip the piss out of all the other panellists because sure. often the other panellists were housemates. Yes, okay, okay. So they'd be reminiscing yep. and they'd be talking about their time in the house and this and in the house and then I did this in the house and then I'd be like, yeah, that's right. I remember back when I was in the house and I, oh, no, sorry, I wasn't in the house because I had a fucking job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I just, and when the panellists okay. would come out, I think, you, I said, you, you know, I'd just be really bluntly honest. Oh, you, you probably think you're going to be a big star, but you probably, no one's going to remember who you are in a month, mate. How do you yeah. feel about that? So yeah. I was pretty cutting. <laughs> and then, so that it show existed. And then out of nowhere, Good News Week came back on air, this panel show that I was mentioned before, that's like, have I got news for you? Mm-hmm. And I was in the box seat because I'd been funny on a panel. Yeah. So I'm in, in Straight Away episode two and, and that season ran out and I was probably appeared more on the... I appeared, no, not probably, I did appear on that show more than any other sure. guest. Sure. And that basically pushed me straight back into the spotlight again. So the lesson here is accept everything but be prepared to be fired from everything. Yes. And also sometimes... You might do a shit little thing, but of course it can lead to another thing. And yeah. this idea that your career gets make or break by one appearance is absolute bullshit. Yes, of course. Yeah, like people love that. People used to tell me that they hated Big Brother but liked watching me. Mm. So you can carve out your own little corner there, mm. you know, in mainstream media. Mm. But yeah, that comes from having a strong comic voice probably as well, you know, if you, you, you got to know exactly why you're there and what you're doing. Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, I we've we've sort of got to end there. Um, mm. But uh, the the last little thing I I realised during this interview that um, uh, I had seen you in Queensland at sit down comedy. Yes. When uh, Lindsay and Will were doing their kind of late night thing, you were yeah. sat at the back wearing a cap. I'd just yes. been I just closed the show beforehand. That's right. Yeah. And um, 
and I just wanted to share this. There was a lovely moment where they were they were very funny, yeah. and uh, my, one of my favourite things in it was because Will kept spilling his numerous drinks. Yeah, and Lindsay let it's very late night loose show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, an improvised kind of knockabout thing. And one of my favourite lines in it was when Lindsay went, uh, "You were uh, you really don't like that top bit, do you?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> spilling it killed me. But there was you know as well as the highs, there were by the nature of yeah, the thing, yeah. there were some lows as well as some yeah. quiet bits. And there was just a lovely moment. I only mean, just. Having been in a bus with you for a week on tour, I'd completely forgotten about this, but it was really nice and I think typical of your standing mm. that someone, another comic who I didn't know stood next to you, during a low, he just looked up at you and you went, save us, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> and what I love was you didn't. That's right, You, you yes. didn't. You didn't go on and, and you could have gone on and picked no, up one of the balls. That, they're fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let them play. I couldn't run into there. I was sober at the time too and I, I just, it wouldn't have fit. It would have been quite weird, really, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, because yeah. so at the time I wasn't drinking, I'd had like, I did the whole Adelaide Fringe sober. So I just by then, by the time I got to Brisbane, uh, yeah, I thought they're both drunk and I'm and I'm sober. It just would not work. Sure. Oh, you did Adelaide sober. That yeah. makes sense. That, that that enables me to make more sense of your prodigious drinking on this festival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, well, I'm drinking a lot now because my family's away. Like I'm here on my own, so I'm taking advantage. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you very much. That's brilliant. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Nice one. Oh, I miss him already. Thanks to Tom, thanks to everyone at the New Zealand International Comedy Festival for a genuinely amazing month. I had so much fun. Uh, back next week with the only other podcast I recorded there. I, I was generally too busy swimming in the sea or climbing volcanoes and so on. Uh, we have an interview coming up with the performer of the characters Ivan Brackenbury and Ian D. Montford. That's Mr. Tom Bins. I'll speak to you then. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.